Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I'm Dr. Jaime G. Ragoza, a life coach, psychologist, and your host. Join me on a journey to inspire and transform ordinary lives into something special. Here, we celebrate the unicorns, those who choose not to follow the ordinary conventional path, but rather chase after their dreams and choose the path less taken, making them truly unique. Together, we'll explore powerful life coaching techniques and hear from special guests who embody the spirit of unicorns in their own way. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have a the president of the greatest interior landscaping company in San Francisco Bay Area, Office Plants by Everything Grows. In addition, he serves as an adjunct college professor where he helps inspire students to develop and apply key concepts of marketing specifically to their area of interest. He has been on a TEDx and he's a TEDx speaker, best-selling author on reducing stress in your everyday life. And lastly, but certainly not least, he is a certified laughter yoga leader and improv comedy cast member supporting his community to laugh more and stress less. I'm very excited to have him on here and we're going to have so much to talk about. So without further ado, welcome Professor Pete Alexander. Hi, me. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I'm so grateful for your listeners time listening as well. Of course. So why don't you tell us a little bit? You you have a very extensive background, which I'm very impressed. And you're we just talked about this, but we're also you're also a laughter yoga leader like myself. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this into this these fields and why. Sure. Let's start with the interior landscaping. We'll go in order as you uh, presented it. The I, I actually got into the interior landscaping business back in 2005. I had been working for the second company in a row that got bought by its main competitor. And so I felt like I wanted to have a little bit more control over my future. And unfortunately, as an employee, a lot of times you're at this whim of the executives. So basically, uh, I thought, let me look for a business that I could run and really apply all the different marketing and sales and other business-related uh, skills that I had gained over the years. And so I found a, a struggling business. And the first year after I bought it, I thought, oh, what have I done? It was awful. It really was awful. <laughs> I was spending 80 to 100 hours a week on it. And it just was like, and it was just continuing to lose money. And I thought to myself, I, I, I tried to turn around and try and sell it and, and it uh, I couldn't find any buyers for it. Um, so I just bit the bullet and said, I got to make this thing work. And I was able to turn it around and then brought in a business partner several years later. And now it has uh, become the fourth largest uh, interior landscaping business in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. So I'm very grateful about that. We had a torpedo uh, hit us when COVID hit because all of our business is office buildings, businesses that have live plants inside of them. And when people are not going into those buildings, they don't need the plants. What happened? And we had, we sadly lost about 60% of our business in 30 days. That is enormous. It's all the growth that we had over the last several years. So I remember it very vividly in March of 2020. And yeah, it just went away. All this growth that we had for the last eight years disappeared over almost overnight, literally. 
continue to work hard. The, uh, I give all the credit to our employee team as well as the, my business partner. And I'm grateful that we've recovered when back this last, last year, we were able to get back whole again. And we're stronger than ever because when you can survive a torpedo like that, you really, you get gain more confidence on that. So that, that, that had a lot of stress, as you can imagine. I ended up applying a lot of different techniques that, that I had learned over the years for those situations. So that's when I got into being a marketing professor, uh, because interestingly, what, before I had the landscaping business, one of the things I was a quote expert in was the wild west of the internet back in the late 1990s. And uh, so what I started doing was I started offering to teach classes in digital marketing. And I found that I really loved to teach. And so I decided to go back and get my PhD. And so I got that in 2006 and been teaching off and on as an adjunct professor for different universities. And I really love it when students, they, at the end of the class, they say, I, when I first took this class, there was no way I ever thought I could write a nice marketing plan and something that I can implement. And lo and behold, I did. And so it's really fun. And I continue to stay connected with many of my, my students from so many years in the past, as well as my current ones. So grateful for that. And then the laughter yoga that came back right before COVID hit, because I wanted to bring laughter into my community. Unfortunately, when, la when everything shut down, you can't do it in person. And I tried doing some Zoom ones, but that I just, it wasn't the same, especially since when you're, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where you're in a Zoom room and it's whoever is laughing the loudest is the one that's going to be on the screen, right? <laughs> so, so it's like a competition there. So that's, that was hard. Last year and a half brought it back in person. And it's so much fun because it's when you laugh, it's, you get people at, even if they're not, it's not a natural laugh to begin with, it becomes contagious. And within a few seconds, everybody's laughing. So it's a real joy. And then I also joined two different improv groups. And so I travel throughout my community. Oh boy, a pretty wide range of distance about from the farthest North to the farthest South about 60 miles where I'm going to different theaters and we come in and we do whatever the audience suggests. So every show is different. And yeah, and it keeps me very witty because you have to be sharp because you have to think and be able to respond right away to whatever situation comes up on stage. So all those things are, are really fun. And I look at it as something that I was able to overcome the, uh, all the challenges that I had as a kid, because you and I talked off, off camera about the dysfunctional family background. And that's where the stress that I, that I dealt with improperly came to a hold back in 2008 when I got diagnosed with stress-induced diabetes. And nobody in my family has diabetes. And the problem was, is that back then I was so busy with the landscaping business that they, when they told me, oh, you have to take medication, insulin, and prior to that, I had uh, glucophage. And I said, I, I, I don't have time to deal with this. Just give me the medicine. And I continued to burn the candle at both ends for another 10 years until I ended up in the emergency room and an extended stay in ICU, one hour from being comatose, 
with a severe case of diabetic ketoacidosis, which for whichever listeners don't know what that is, basically my body was eating itself alive because of my stress. And that was an epiphany moment for me because I realized if I continue doing what I was doing and not taking care of my health, I wasn't going to be around to meet my future grandchildren. And so that, that is where, why I do what I do now. That's an amazing story. And thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that with us. And I didn't even know that you can get stress-induced diabetes. So that's something that I just learned right now. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, if, if you were to say to a doctor, I have stress-induced di diabetes, they'd say, technically, that's not correct. So what happens is when we are inundated with stress, and most of our stress, of course, is mental now. We're constantly stressing, but we've got the same bodies that we had back in the Stone Age. And when we dealt with stress in a short amount of time to fight off a T-Rex or a saber-toothed tiger, right? That was all fine to drop the cortisol and adrenaline into our bodies. But when we're stressing ourselves out mentally, constantly, we're dumping those hormones into our body over and over again. And so what happens when we do that is it creates cellular inflammation in our bodies. And that cellular inflammation is what leads to chronic disease. So may not be diabetes, it might be heart disease, it might be cancer. So whatever that happens to be, that you have to be careful about that. And so the key is to listen to your body because for me, I had a lot of different early warning signs. So, you know, I started getting headaches frequently. Instead of getting occasional headache once, once every week or something like that. I was getting headaches every day or every other day. I'm heading, I'm grabbing for the Excedrin bottle and I just kept on taking that. Or getting, the, one of the earliest signs that anyone gets is back and shoulder stiffness. Because when we're stressed, and let's say if we have a desk job, what happens when we're stressed, we tend to hunch ourselves over. And what that does is puts pressure on our shoulders and our backs. So that's an early warning sign. Side. Frequent colds. So you, maybe you, when you're normally doing everything the way that you want to, you might get one cold a winter season. Instead, you're getting one cold every month or even more frequently and stuff because your immune system's down. That's another indicator that you are physically stressed. And another one that can, that can happen is having anxiety about something that may or may not happen in the future. And the thing is that the reality is we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but if we worry that it's going to go negative, what often happens is we manifest that because we're sending that negative energy that direction. So that's another one. And then the one that was the final call for me when I got the stress-induced diabetes was I lost 30 pounds in 30 days. Weight fluctuations up or down, plus or minus five pounds or so, that's normal body stuff. But when you have an extreme, either gaining weight rapidly or losing weight, significant weight rapidly, something else is going on. And uh, I remember at first, when I lost the first 10 pounds in the first 10 days or so, I was thinking, wow, this is great. I was in my mid-40s. I hadn't lost weight in, since my early 20s. And then all of a sudden, it kept on coming off. 
And I was like, what is going on? And once the 30th pound came off, I thought, oh, I better have the doctor check this out. And we her chicken dinner. They came back with the blood work and said, guess what? You got stress-induced diabetes. It, and the, the problem now is I have to deal with that chronic disease for the rest of my life. And had I listened to my body about what stress was doing to it, maybe I wouldn't have become a diabetic. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And stress is something that affects everybody. And no matter who you are, and a lot of us think that we're invincible. And just because we're not feeling stress at that moment, we're, we're fine. Nothing's wrong. I, a lot of the clients that I work with, it frustrates me sometimes because I say, what is your stress level on a scale of one to 10? Oh, it's a zero. I have, I feel no stress. I'm fine. And then when they start telling me everything that they're doing and I'm like, you are piling excuse me, you're piling a lot of stress onto yourself. You're burning both ends of the candle, like you're saying. What are some things you're going to do to manage all of that stress? You're like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I wake up at five in the morning. I sleep at two in the morning. It's fine if I get three hours of sleep for the next couple of weeks. And it's like, it's not, it's you're building your body and you're pushing your body to its limits and you're not noticing. But it's those small little things that you mentioned that people don't notice, like the eye twitch or Mm -hmm. the hunching of the shoulders. The tension sometimes, like I've noticed some clients that they feel like my forearm just like randomly like pulsates. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's your body trying to release the stress that you're putting on it. That's not yeah. normal. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Or a rash or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the key word that you mentioned there that rang solid for me is when someone says, I'm fine. So you've heard what the acronym FINE stands for, haven't you? No. Okay. Actually. So it's effed up insecure, nervous, and exhausted. So that's what's fine. When someone someone says they're fine, that's really what it means. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. I'm going to definitely start using that because that's one of my pet peeves is I when I ask people, how are you? And they say fine. I was like, fine isn't an emotion. Fine is not a state of being. It's it's a placeholder. So how are you actually feeling? (laughs) Exactly. Or you could say, okay, tell me which one of those four are you feeling right now? Because at least one of them is, is going to be accurate. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's it, thank you so much for sharing like all this and starting this conversation because it is important for people to know that stress does affect your body one way or another, and it can Absolutely. lead to serious chronic issues. For me, it manifested in a different situation and where I get severe anxiety attacks that mimic seizures. Mm-hmm. And that's something that now my body, that's, it learned that's a way to really stress. So if I push myself to the limit, I will start seizing and start like having these muscle contract, like severe muscle contractions to the point where I'm in the fetal position, can't move. It's horrendous. And it's ridiculous because I no longer have control of my body for anywhere from five minutes to like two hours. And it can happen anytime. It's happened to me as I'm like driving. It's happened to me as I've been giving a presentation and this is luckily I haven't had one in over 10 years but because I learned how to manage my stress but beforehand I didn't and I didn't know that it was something that people just had and when my doctor told me you're developing a pattern so now you don't have an anxiety attack you have an anxiety disorder because now it's this is your body learned that this is something that it can do to release all the stress that you've refused to reduce on 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 a regular basis so now your body found an escape path 
of least resistance that this is the way that I'm going to release the stress that he refuses to release on his own. Mm-hmm. And it's things like these that these are important conversations to have because people don't take it seriously until it's too late and it happens to them. Yes. And it's it, your story it reinforces also the fact that our bodies are so intelligent. It basically, it's, it adapts to whatever we're giving it, good and bad. And so, as you say, you basically, it, know, it, it has to release that stress somehow. So it found a way. And unfortunately, at least you've learned how to, to deal with it, because I can't imagine how awful that must have been you know, to, like, to be in the fetal position. You can't do anything. It's just like until it calms down. Yeah, it's definitely hard. And for... And- And then something I do to like premise is that each person's body reacts differently. Like Mm -hmm. you said earlier, some people's anxiety attack can be severe hives and rashes. Mm -hmm. I know individuals that happens to other people swell up and Mm -hmm. it seems like they're having an allergic reaction, but it's actually a stress-induced reaction. Mm -hmm. Other people get severe migraines. Other people have muscle spasms. It just varies from person to person and it can be very difficult, especially if it's your first time. Like I know one of my best friends called me because she knows that I struggled through this and she went to the hospital five times in a week because she thought she was having a heart attack Mm. and they admitted her as having a potential heart attack. But then when they did all the tests, nothing happened. It was an anxiety attack that mimicked a heart attack. So Mm. that's her body's way that it learned now that whenever Mm -hmm. you stress me out too much, I'm going to give you severe chest pressure to the point you can't breathe. Like you feel like you're dying. And that's like each person is different and you have to learn how to manage your own symptoms if you push your body to that point. Absolutely. Because it's your body is ratcheting it up each time when you don't respond to the stress in the way that it needs you to respond to it. It's going to continue ratcheting it up. And I like to call my pancreas. It had to have been my uh, weakest link in my body's chain at the point where it shut down. And so guess what? Hey, now because I didn't listen and I didn't respond properly to my stress, my body had no choice but to keep ratcheting it up and my pancreas was the next one to fall. And so it's so important for us to listen when we're getting these stressors to listen and do something about it because you can minimize the impact it has on you if you listen to your body. And you do something to a positive to, to respond to it because your body wants to be healthy. It does. But if we don't let it be healthy because we keep dumping the stress into it, it's just going to, you're going to leave it no choice. But at some point, something worse is going to happen. I agree. And I think from what I feel is that a lot of individuals tend to take a, a passive approach in their life, especially when it comes to stress, because we're not really taught at a young age that we need to manage and do self-care and do meditation and do things to really focus on that mental health. Mm-hmm. We're taught to just push until we get what we want. And then we reach this level of bliss that the American dream, whatever it may be, where we suddenly stop working, which is not true. But we're not really taught these techniques to teach us how to do this. So they take a very passive approach until something happens, then they go more assertive. But to be more preventative is you need to take an assertive approach now. You need to do, what are my, when am I going to take my breaks? When am I going to do intentional mindfulness exercises to reduce my stress levels? How am I going to dump all of this stress and anxiety from my body, from my mind out? 
at least every mm. once a week, once every other week. Mm -hmm. So it it's really planning and doing something more assertively versus I'll get it, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'm yeah. a firm believer if it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen. It's interesting that you say that I'm exactly the same way. So I actually have daily activities that I do, and they're only a minute or two in most activities, but they're in my calendar. And so it's a ping. It reminds me. And the key is you treat that in the calendar, just like you would an important appointment, like with a customer, a client, work, whatever it happens to be you treat it the same level as you would any other appointment on your calendar. And it works. It does. It just, this is a, the challenge is to do it regularly enough that it becomes a habit. That's the key because, and again, depending on the person, it can take anywhere from 21 to 60 days to make it a habit. But once it is a habit, and this is both positive and negative, once it's a habit, it's in our subconscious and we, and it's on autopilot then. Yeah, I completely agree. And each person can do different things. Some people go and do a walk and mm -hmm. without technology. And then they, mm -hmm. as their escapism, some people just sit down and do meditation silently. Mm -hmm. Other people do breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. Other people do laughter mm -hmm. yoga. Other mm -hmm. people do exercise. So you just need to find what works for you because everybody's different. Absolutely. The, when I wrote my book, there's over 120 activities in there, and the vast majority of them are five minutes or less. And the reason I had so many in there is because something that works for me may not work for you and vice versa. And so it's a matter of finding what is it that works for you. And once you find that, use it, run with it, do it on a daily basis, because if you make it into a habit, the compound benefits over time will be enormous, but you have to start doing it and doing it consistently. Yes, I agree. And this is a good segue into my next question, which was going to be, what inspired you to write your book? And mm. what is it about? <laughs> yeah, it's um, called Lighten Your Day, Fast, Easy, and Effective Stress Relief. And what it did was after I had that experience in the ICU, so I'll go a little more in detail into what actually happened there. A couple of years prior, I had gone back to the corporate world. And when I, because I brought the business partner into the landscaping business, and then I brought somebody in to handle the sales. And because I had an old boss who wanted me to come back to work and make him look good, basically. <laughs> and so I went, okay, made an offer I couldn't refuse. He ended up leaving the company a couple of years later. And I was in my mid-50s and I got a micromanager as a new manager. And so I here I was, my second day in ICU. Mind you, my micromanager manager knew that I was in the emergency room, knew that I was in ICU. I kid you not, second day in ICU at about 6 a.m., I get this text. And the text says, you have a webinar you need to run at 8 o'clock. What are you going to do about it? And I'm looking at my phone and I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh, I've been recovering here in the hospital. I totally forgot. 
And so I'm sitting there pushing the envelope of my phone because what a surprise. I did not have my work laptop in the ICU. So I'm trying to reschedule this webinar. And the nurse who was on taking care of me at that point comes over. She, she checks my blood. And when I was originally admitted into ICU, my blood sugars were so high that the medical grade glucometers could not read my blood. All it said was high. So the lab had to manually estimate what my blood sugar was. It came back eight to 10 times higher than normal. And that was because I was working on this very high profile project at work and it was stressing me out. My blood sugars after two days in the hospital were still high, but they had come down into a little bit more reasonable numbers. They were still high, but at least the glucometers could read it and stuff. And as she took my blood reading while I was sitting there trying to reschedule the webinar, my blood sugar started skyrocketing straight back up. And she says to me, they're pretty much a complete stranger. She says to me, you realize that's what put you in this hospital bed in the first place. And that was the epiphany moment that I had. I went, oh my gosh, I am trading my health for my career. And that's a very bad trade. So what I did was I, I was in the hospital for another couple of days and I spent most of that time just thinking through everything. And I realized after I got out of the hospital, I said, I can't do this anymore. And so I decided to resign and I just focused on my health by applying all these different tools and techniques for stress relief. And a lot of them worked, some of them didn't. But what I noticed was that not only did my stress go way down, my blood sugars as a diabetic went, went down, my weight went down, and my energy level went way, way up. It was as if I had discovered a fountain of youth. And here's the crazy thing. If you saw a picture of me from 2008, when I was first diagnosed with uh, stress-induced diabetes, and you see me now, other than a little bit more gray hair, I look younger than I did 14 years ago. That's what stress does to you. And so my former coworkers, my family, they said, you ought to write a book about this. And so I thought, yeah, what the heck? I had written a couple other books several years previously, including the dissertation that you and I both have done. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know what? I, I've got to do this. And so uh, it became an Amazon bestseller, and I'm glad that people get benefit from it. it and the interesting thing is that when I first looked into doing a book, I looked at different stress relief books that were out there, and most of them would talk about a 300-page book on deep breathing, 300-page book on yoga, 300-page book on meditation. And the reality is, at least how where I was coming from and so many of the people I work with, the reality is you only have a couple of minutes to try something before you have to walk into the next stressful situation you're dealing with. You don't have time to read 300 pages on one particular thing. So grab it, try something. If it works, fantastic, run with it. If it doesn't work, big deal. You try it a couple of minutes. The next time, try a different one until you find one or two 
that work for you and then you're golden. Yeah, I lo completely love that. And I think it's a good way because we're, we're all on the go. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us don't have, like you said, the time to really sit down and learn a whole technique from its origin to now. <laughs> so I think it's amazing <laughs> that you created this tool for people to be able to utilize on the go and try different techniques every single day and so many different ones that like you said, it, one may work for one and may not work for another. But wow, what an amazing story. And the fact that you actually ended up in the ICU and you had an individual that still did not care for you and cared more about the business is still, I'm flabbergasted. I know I was manager and the thing is I would never do that. It's, and as a professor, mm -hmm. I have my students, if their life happens, we all know that. And mm -hmm. then there's things that come up. All I tell them to is if something comes up and you've got an assignment due, just send me an email. Let me know. I'll cut you slack. And I think, but I couldn't believe it that it's, I'm in the hospital and all my manager cared about was, oh, this webinar. And what am I going to do about it? Not what can we do to help you? It's just, it was nuts. It was nuts. And so I literally was, had to sit there, try and re, redo that webinar. Then I called one of my guys that reported to me and I said, hey, can you manage to do, because I couldn't do everything on my phone. So I had to engage him to help me. And, but it was like, what? Not manager of the year there. <laughs> yeah. And stuff like that, like these type of stories really get to me. And that was actually my dissertation was on why people quit their jobs and why they stay. Um, and it was, I got a lot of stories, so many like horror stories. I honestly, I think it's a horror story, my dissertation, just because it's a bunch of stories of how bad pe people were treated and how long they endured it until they had that epiphany. You know what? I'm done. I need to mm -hmm. leave. And it just, it flabber, it just shocks me how a person fails to think of people as people. And more yes. as gear, like gears in a machine. And even after they're in a hospital or they had an accident or something like that, they're like, okay, are you going to come to work or do I need to replace you? <laughs> it's interesting. I'm curious about this because one of the books that I wrote back in the early 2000s, his title was Money Isn't All That Matters. And it basically talked about the same thing. I interviewed, oh gosh, it must have been a hundred, roughly a hundred different companies about unique things they were doing to recruit and retain technical professionals. And the bottom line, which was very interesting, is that the number one reason, and it still holds true today, the number one reason someone leaves a company is their poor relationship with their manager. They may say on the exit interview, they may say, oh, I got a, a new opportunity that's paying me more or a better title or whatever it happens to be. But chances are that if they had a really good relationship with their manager, why would they be leaving? Because the manager, if the manager is taking care of them, making sure they're paid well, making sure that they're doing the work that they enjoy, why would they leave? So... It's, it's a big one. I love that you did your dissertation on that because that, that's near and dear to my heart from a, a different part of my career. Yeah, same. And 
it just, it, I did it for social services and individuals, especially nonprofits, because they don't get paid the same rate. Sometimes it's almost a dollar to above minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And you have individuals staying 20, 30 years. And then you have people like organizations that have the same positions, but they only stayed three to six months. So you have to like, what's going on? And there was a huge correlation between leadership and the mm-hmm. culture. And some people used other type of factors, but when you really pinpoint it and you put it together, it's all led by how the manager is, the culture that they're creating. Right. So it does say a lot based on the person. And you, when you start noticing these trends, you can start pointing out your employees are not the problem. It's the people you chose to, to lead these employees. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So true. And when I was in sales back early in my career, one of the funniest things that used to be said is the, the quickest way to ruin a great salesperson is to make him or her a manager. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's people that are born to be managers and there's definitely people that have been born not to be. Yeah. And so it just, it, it's true. And it, it's interesting. I've had to work with some really doozies in my career. I had one who, he was such a control freak. This was, I remember I was the first job I had in marketing in my career. And he was such a control freak that he wanted to cut, we had adjoining offices and he wanted to cut a hole in the wall between our offices so he could listen to every conversation I had on the phone to make sure that I said everything correct to a salesperson, to a customer, everything like that. And he constantly, he would, he was, for the first year that I worked there, he was literally sitting in my lap for everything. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe that I lasted that long because I, I was just like, what is this? But it was my first marketing job. I transitioned from sales. And I had actually been recruited by the president of the company who was a doctor and I I was in the pharmaceutical industry and I had come into his clinic and I was training his staff on how to use this allergy respiratory product. And he came, uh, took me aside and he says, Hey, you know, I have a, uh, a need for an extra marketing uh, person in my, my uh, company. Would you be interested? And I thought, sure, I'll come in and interview. Lo and behold, I didn't know that I was going to be working for his son-in-law, who <laughs> was not him. And it just, micromanagers, the sad thing about it is micromanagers micromanage because they don't trust their employees. And when you don't trust, you don't have trust in that relationship, then inevitably it's going to go sour. And I'm going to take that one step further before we switch into another, another topic. They don't trust their employees because they don't trust themselves and how they manage and their skill set. Mm-hmm. It's comes it all comes from an insecurity. Mm-hmm. You micromanage because you're insecure that you're not going to be the leader you're you're supposed to be. You're not going to produce the results. Therefore, you don't trust. Since you don't trust yourself, you don't trust other people under you because why are you, why are you going to trust them if you don't trust your own ability? Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point because. I, I figured it, it, it was a good, you know, uh, 100% about that they want to make sure that they, you don't, their employees don't make them look bad because it's all about how they look, right? And so they're micromanaging, but it's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but I can go into a whole other hour talking about this. <laughs> but we are running out of time. 
And I want to ask you the, the main question that I ask all my guests, which is for people listening, a lot of the, the guests, all of the unicorns that are on here. I always like to define a unicorn as a person who is able to tap into their inner talents, trust themselves and be able to mm -hmm. shine above the rest and be unique and mm -hmm. continue growing and expanding and being that amazing person that they can be. With everything that we talked about today with stress, anxiety, and all of these techniques, and from your experience, how can someone start their unicorn journey to be able to still take the care of themselves, but be that burst version of themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. What, so you have to be, first and foremost, you have to be in the present because you have to be aware of what's going on in the present. If you are, then you can take note, as we were talking about earlier, about different things about our body, what it's doing. And when you see something that's happening that isn't normal about your body, don't just brush it off. The reality is you have to take care of yourself. And why it's so important to take care of your health is think about when the last time, let's say that you had a really bad flu. Chances are you didn't feel like doing anything other than lying in bed. And when you only have the energy to lie in bed, you're no good to your job. No, you're no good to your business. You're no good to your education. You're no good to your loved ones. Don't take it for granted. So whatever you do, Make sure that you're not trading your health for your, or for your career or any other responsibility because you need to maintain your health so that you can be there to do the good job, to run the successful business, to do well in school, to be supportive of your loved ones. It all comes back to being healthy because health and our time available, those are the two most precious assets we have. I completely love that. And that, I think that's an amazing piece of advice. And we do need to take care of ourselves. We do need to put ourselves forward and know that the, the, op the consequence of not doing that is what you said. You're going to be bed, bedridden, and you're going to feel more guilty and you're still not going to relax because how many of us have gotten sick and we're like, I'm useless. I'm just here. And it, all those negative mm -hmm. thoughts just start mm -hmm. doubling down instead of being productive. So be purposeful in your rest and resting state and trying to rejuvenate as much as possible. Absolutely. And you know, the, the other thing to think about is when we're on our deathbed, we're not going to be thinking about, oh, if only I would have spent an extra half an hour a day at work or something. We're going to be looking about thinking back and thinking what else could we have done with our time if we were healthy? That's that really puts it into perspective. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm not going to be thinking about, damn, I should have put clocked in those extra 30 minutes to finish that project. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And the other thing too, mentioning about like the, I'm sure you've probably used this idea with the anxiety. One of the most powerful things we can do is be mindful and say, okay, if we're worried, we're anxious about something, something is stressing us out. Will that situation, that issue be important five days from now, five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now? Reality is it probably won't. 
So why are you letting it stress you out so much? That's the, so we just have to be mindful and be in the present. And that is a great question and a good reflection for one to do because we're so in the moment now and we're like, wow, this is going to be like never ending and then you explode. But yeah, is it going to matter a week from now? And then something that I like to ask the clients is what happens if you don't finish that task? What's going to be the consequence? Okay, you have this big work project that's due today by 5 p.m. You obviously know you're not going to have enough time. Yep. You communicate it to your employer. They refuse to budge. What's going to happen? Yeah. It still needs to get done. So mm -hmm. do as much as you can, apologize, and then finish it tomorrow. Yeah. And I bet you that they're still going to be more appreciative of you submitting something versus nothing or just submit whatever you got. There's no need for you to kill yourself to appease something that was out of your hands or out of your control. Yeah. Just do the best you can and just let it go. Less yeah. than release and life let will continue. Go. And the thing is, if you have a, if you set up that boundary too at work, one of, one of the most powerful things that I used to do was if you've got your whole time is full and then what does somebody do? They, the manager dumps something else on you. What I learned to do, and it took, took a 10, 15 years of my career before I figured this one out. But what I started doing was going to my manager and saying, okay, I can do this extra thing that was just dumped on my lap. You pick what's not going to get done on my current plate. Let you make that decision because I have to focus on this right now. And this is going to take my time. So you have to be okay with whatever else is not going to get done when it was supposed to be done. So if you can give it back to the manager, and then chances are, if it's a supportive manager, he or she will say, okay, go ahead and do this one first, do that one next. And that, that gives you the runway to be able to not burn yourself out. Exactly. And if it's a really supportive manager, they'll be like, let me take this off of you. Yeah. I'll, let me either give it to somebody else or I'll complete it for you Yeah. while you focus on that. And thank you for communicating that with me. Exactly. That's the thing because they don't, it's so much of the issues that run into in a business setting is the pro, is setting the proper expectations. Because if you know that you let your manager know early on before it's okay, it's one minute before this is due and oh, I can't get it done. <laughs> no, let them know as soon as possible because then they have the opportunity to help you, as you said. Go ahead and they'll take it from you and give it to somebody else or figure out something else. That's part of their job that they're supposed to do. So use it. Exactly. Couldn't have said that better. But <laughs> as we wrap up, this has been an amazing conversation and I would love to pick your brain in a future episode for sure. How can someone get in contact with you or communicate with you or even maybe ask you to do a laughter yoga session with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just go to my website, petealexander.com. That's P-E-T-E-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R.com. And I've got all my social media channels, got the link to the book. I've got other podcasts I've been on, et cetera. And, then, and my email is there too. Feel free to, to reach out to me. I'd love to uh, keep the conversation going and connect with me on social media. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pete. And for listeners, if you want to go to my website at redgoza-consulting.com, you'll actually see a new article on the Unicorn Wall of Fame where you'll see Pete and along with the other unicorns with his bio, all the links that he just mentioned, and they will also be in the show notes. 
quick reminders for everyone. Episodes come out every Friday at 7 a.m. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Pete, thank you so much. This has been an amazing chat. And until next time. Jaime, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. And thank you to your listeners for their time as well. Thank you for listening to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I truly appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. Until next time, this is Dr. Jaime G. Ragoza signing off.